Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us for another episode of provocative, innovative, insightful, passionate, inspiring conversation with some of the brightest and best minds in the responsible fatherhood space today. Um, and in the future, and I get to each and every week speak to someone who is uh, personally close to me on most times when I'm talking to our guests. I think probably 90% of the people that I've interviewed so far, I've probably known more than 10, 15 years in this space and know their families and know their story and know their backdrop. And our guest today is no different in that space. Um, he is Mr. Justin Bat. Um, his life is connected and he is on a mission to connect the hearts of fathers to their children and children back to their fathers. Um, Justin is passionate about reigniting and restoring fatherhood around the world and changing the next generation. He's an active father who's taken a bold approach by building a fatherhood platform on four core areas, faith, family, fitness, and finances. He believes that if you win at work, um, but you don't win at home, you haven't won at all. His goal is to provide fathers with events, experiences, education, and technology to unleash the unlimited potential inside of their kids and raise resilient kids who go out and change the world. He's created a for-profit and a not-for-profit and will impact 10 million fathers in the next 10 years to end fatherlessness. Um, he has worked with the NFL, Pro Football Hall of Fame, NASCAR, Fortune 500, and NIC 5000 corporations, provide ex, uh, provides executive one-on-one -on -one coaching, has completed a TEDx on fatherhood, and built a fatherhood media ecosystem that continues to expand. Justin believes that um, Justin believes that far more is caught. Um, I'm moving my, moving my um, thing around. Uh, far more is caught than taught and is an, inter, an, an intentional and active father with his four kids and serves as a father figure to countless young men in his community. Um, it's the thing that I love most about um, Justin, and that's his interaction uh, with his family and his lovely wife, Heather. And I've actually been, I've had the privilege to be around Justin and his family and in my kind of side gig or my my side uh calling, which is photography, has ever been able to catch them in some very intimate moments in the in the midst of doing this business. How you doing, Justin? Kenny, I am amazing and it's such an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. No, thank you, man. It's um it's been a long time. You know, this is, you know, actually been therapeutic for me, you know, talking to other folks in this space and and hearing how they think and having them tell their stories and talking about why they are passionate um, in this space, you know, which leads me to ask you, 
you know, why do you have this insatiable passion to work for dads? <laughs> I was actually talking with somebody about this this morning. I think, you know, all of us have a calling or a, a mantle, as I call it, on our lives as men. And, and I think it's the thing that just when you feel that burning inside of you, that burning in your heart where your feet hit the ground and they feel firmly planted, I got to go and, and fix this. I got to go and solve this. And for me, it's fatherhood. And I didn't just stumble upon it. It was one of those things where my wife had a bridal store right after we got married and launched her career as an entrepreneur. And we had our first child, our daughter, Hayden Olivia, and had three more boys after that. And I was a corporate dad at home all by myself on Saturdays with all four of our kids, trying to just figure it out, keep them alive, have fun at the same time and have a productive day. And what I uncovered was that through intentionality, through planning and, and engaging my kids um, through presence and through interaction, I could essentially transform not only my role as a father, but the future of our family and, and, and their future as children and young adults eventually. And it wasn't just in my own family. I recognized there was this outside of our four walls and in the world and in our community. And so that's what the, the TEDx and the book and all those other things came about as a means of me saying, I feel like I'm called to this. God's given me a ability to help my own family, but also can use these tools and mostly my failures to help other dads on their journey as well. And so it's something that I just was inspired to do for my own kids in our own backyard, but then transitioned to be now uh, an international effort to help other dads do the same and to end this issue of fatherlessness that I know that you and I are both working deeply on. Mm. So I always ask this question with my guests. I've actually begun to ask it more. I didn't start in the beginning, but it's such a necessary thing to talk about because people are always so curious about it. What's your daddy's story? Such a great, great question. I love that. It's one of my favorite questions as well. So my dad um, grew up in a very rough environment and his, his goal, like most dads, was to do better for his family um, than you know, had been done for him. And he certainly succeeded at that. He was very involved um, in, in terms of giving his time to myself and to my, my younger sister. He coached every sport I ever had. He spent countless hours in the backyard throwing the ball. Uh, you know, playing catch, doing all the things, and sports was definitely a big connection point for us. Um, at the same time, my dad was also very uh, results-based as a father, and so um, he lived vicariously through me in a lot of ways. So my performance on the sports field would dictate a lot of the love and affirmation that I got from my dad. And I can remember times where, you know, I would, I'd have 100 tackles in the game, but I, I missed one, and I'd hear about the one that I missed instead of 100 that I made. And so there are a lot of moments where, um, you know, I had a hard time trying to strive for the love and affection of my dad through my performance. And it certainly impacted me later on in life and um, caused me to have a, a reframe of that in my own relationship with my kids, which is we focus on the relationship, not the results, right? We go out and get ice cream after the game, no matter whether they hit a home run or they strike out at the plate. Um, so it ended up being a big blessing in my own fatherhood story. And it's been a great uh, connection point for my dad and I just going forward in our relationship. So I had a very uh, present dad, a very hardworking dad, a loving father. Uh, but like all dads, they leave us all with a father wound. And that was mine. And I'm thankful that we've been able to, to share forgiveness and reconciliation through that. But at the same time, use it as a tool to help my own kids and our family and many, many others as well. 
Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that we don't talk about, which is why I love the question, what's your daddy's story? Because, you know, all of our stories are so unique. I think that, you know, one of the things that has disturbed me, you know, in this space for some time is that people believe that the work is based on this foundation of horrible stories about our dads and horrible stories about, you know, our relationships with our dads. And people, it is also one of the reasons that, you know, I'm so adamant now about the eradication of this word fatherless. Um, there is no such thing as a fatherless child. Every child, 100% of biological children um, have a father. Um, it's not a question of if the father exists, it's a question of where he exists. But if you never ask the question, where is he, you make the assumption that he doesn't exist. And much of what we deal with and many of the societal problems and ills that we're dealing and grappling with today is not as a result of fathers having no value. It is because they have such profound value in our lives. That's what makes the fatherlessness so powerful and allows us to shove aside this notion that fatherless um, because there is no such thing. He exists, whether he physically exists or not, whether he is uh, deployed, deceased, incarcerated on the other side of town, across the world, you know, next door, wherever he exists and he exists in the souls, minds and bodies, you know, of all of us. And that's kind of where we need to continue to move this conversation. What is it about your dad that you carry into your work? What is it that you do or mannerisms or thought processes that you pull into this work that you say to yourself, I know that this is as a result of my relationship with my father? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that the, the big part of that's quality time, right? And, and I just saw the fact that my dad was there in the home and, and his one gift, the way he loved, loved me and loved us was just by being there and being present. Um, whether that was, you know, fully engaged or not, he was there. And I think that's half the battle. So a lot of the work that I do with my own family and other men is helping them to see that just by showing up to your point, right? By being physically present is a huge deal in the lives of these kids because they need to be able to bump up against that male figure, that male role model, that father or father figure in their life. And so I definitely took that from my dad and he only missed one of my games um, my entire uh, playing career, which was incredible. And it's because he got a chance to go um, fly on a team plane with a, a college team and, and go to a game, be on the sidelines. So it was a cool gift for him. Um, and at the same time, it also taught me about this concept of investments and withdrawals. And so because my dad had invested so much time with me physically, when he made that withdrawal, right? And it was actually the first game I started varsity football. He didn't know I was going to start and I ended up starting that game. Wow. And, you know, he missed that, that opportunity. However, um, I was so excited for my dad. I celebrated my dad going. I didn't, I didn't miss him not being there because he'd been there in so many circumstances. So as a dad, it's very important to look at that, uh, the bank account that you have with your kids. And it's not about buying them things. It's about, you know, T-I-M-E, which spells love for most kids. And that is just by being there physically in their lives. And I can't stress the importance of that enough. And the more deposits you make when you go to make a withdrawal, which we all do, whether it's intentional or not, as a dad, those deposits can really help um, your kids because kids are resilient, right? But the more you're there, the more opportunity you have. And for kids that don't have a father in the home, 
and like we talked about, right? The, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that fatherless, that word doesn't exist to me. There's fatherlessness. Um, and so for those kids, it's about finding that father figure who can be that, that role model in their life. And if you're a dad that's disengaged and disconnected, it's, you gotta be there, you gotta show up and you just have to be present. That's half the bill. And so my dad definitely taught me that. I definitely carry that with me. And that's something that inspires me to help other dads do the same. Yeah. You know, this work is not for the faint at heart. You know, I love the spirits of many of both the men and women that I toil with in this space. Um, and I often ask the question, you know, because you know, we burn the midnight oil, we burn the candles on both sides, you know, we burn up the runway, you know, in this space of really trying to find ways to reconnect, enhance, um, beautify the relationships um, with fathers and their children and fathers and their partners. Uh, what keeps you up at night? What keeps you going when it comes to working for fathers? Well, I think the fact that when you look at the the impact that that this opportunity can have on the world, and the fact that nobody seems to be focusing on it, it keeps getting pushed to the background, right? The, the role of dads in the media and in society keeps uh, continues to be that kind of shameful, dunce dad or that, that disengaged, non, non-present dad which there's some truth to that in statistics, but in reality, that's not the case at all. And I think that, you know, the, the shirt you're wearing right now, great dads are not a myth. Like that is the truth and that needs to be shared and spread. So I think for me, a big part of that is just proving this myth that's out there that there are a lot of great dads doing great work and they need to be congratulated and celebrated and, and move forward. So part of it is putting a spotlight on that and helping um, change the narrative that there are a lot of amazing dads doing great things. And the more that we support those dads and lift them up and create that to be the, the example, the more that far more is caught for kids that works for other men too, the more I think we'll see a lot more dads also rise up to that. But at the same time, I think the, the other burning desire for me is I'm seeing our culture and our world just move away from this role of the father in the family. I believe that you know the dad, the man of the household is given dominion and that dominion is over his, his family. It's not a rulership or an authority. It's a, it's a, it's a positional place as head of the household, as, as husband, as father, right? As an employer who has people underneath him as a leader, as a community um, engagement uh, leader as well. And as a thought leader, with media in the marketplace. Like there's a lot of dominion that we've been given as men and as dads. And I'm just seeing a lot of um, this next generation rise up and there are a lot of boys who can shave and they're not stepping into their role and their calling um, as husbands, as fathers, as men. I heard a statistic the other day, Kenny, it's from the Brookings Institute. I can't, I've never heard of this and the time I've been doing this, but it talked about the fact that you have a less than 3% chance of ending up in poverty if you graduate high school you wait until you're 21 to get married, you have kids after 20, after you're married, and then you have a full-time job. You do those 3.5 or four things, and you have less than a 3% chance of ending up in poverty. Like that's, that's incredible. And so there's all these things like that that are out there that the role of a father can help change the trajectory of our entire, our entire country and our entire world if we just get the dads back and re-engage in the family and start promoting and changing the narrative that's out there. Yeah, you know, part of that, that statistic comes from this concept um, that, you know, 
folks have been trying to live for some time um, called the success sequence. Um, and so there are exactly. individuals that have used that as a platform to really press forward the conversation around um, enticing, enhancing, and, and or encouraging individuals to get married because marriage is the best ecosystem for the success of our children. And I think the component of that really rests in the space of commitment, that being married to someone is a commitment to um, raising your children, bearing children, raising your children, and, and supporting your children um, outside of your own relationship. And, but then there's this conversation where folks are challenging the success sequence by saying, what about those who don't follow that sequence and not saying it in a way that if they don't follow that sequence that they can't be successful. And so there's a kind of this conversation going around this, you know, how feasible is it for many um, children in communities across the country to take that path, particularly when it gets to the college piece of it, right? And even the having a baby piece of it, right? Because sometimes the babe, the cart comes before the horse, right? And and it's like, okay, what do I do now? And how do I get my life back on track? And so I think there's this dual conversation that has to happen, which is always, you know, this is the best way, but if you don't do it the best way, there are alternatives on how you get there. It may take you a little longer to get there. It may be a little harder for you to get there, but you can get there. Um, you know, I'm often um, impressed by the different ways that people engage themselves in the fatherhood space. You know, some guys write books, some guys write curriculums, some guys host events, some guys host conferences, some guys just speak and talk about it. Um, some guys engage in social media, you know, influence activities, expanding the narrative. You know, some guys, you know, create, um, coach. Some guys, you know, teach. There's all kinds of ways that you can get involved to really enhance this conversation we're having around fatherhood. But the work that you're doing, particularly uh, with Daddy Saturday, is something that um, attracted my attention some time ago in watching um, not only how you advance that work, but how you use your sons as a core messaging piece and not only why this is important, but how you do this. Talk about Daddy Saturday, how that came about and what it is for the audience. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I was a young dad and um, my wife was a school teacher and she decided to um, leave teaching and wanted to do something else. I encouraged her to be an entrepreneur and supported her in starting her own business. And we had our daughter at the time and then you know, three boys after that. So I'm a, a corporate dad traveling all the time, coming home late in the week and have my kids all day on Saturdays. And I just was tired of kind of loafing my way into the day. And as I called it, having a dad hangover, not being fully engaged with my kids. And so I just started to have a plan for the day and, you know, have a game plan, if you will, and using what we had around the home and our community to make sure we had an ethic and an engaging day. And I had eight or 10 hours in front of me. So I had a lot of time to fill and it was a big challenge at the, at the time when I had, you know, a brand new baby um, in the home that's, you know, my wife's breastfeeding and she'd have, you know, she'd pump and have bottles for me to use. And then I'd have, you know, changing diapers and a toddler and then 
uh, five and like an eight-year-old. So it was a lot at that moment with a dad trying to go out to Lowe's or, you know, go in different places and not just be sitting at home with four kids like that. And it was interesting because a lot of people look at me and they were shocked. They're like, they'd see a dad with four kids hanging on the cart and a bassinet in my hands, the baby's just my chest out in the bottom of the community. I got the strangest looks like that was so odd. And that also struck me as odd. because I'm like, this should be the norm, not the, not the, not the, uh, you know, the counter to the rule. And, and so those events, those Saturdays started happening and my kids began looking forward to those. And oftentimes on like a Tuesday or Wednesday, they would say, Hey dad, what are we doing on Saturday? Cause then it was going to be dad on Saturday. And one middle son, Mason, uh, a couple years into it said, Hey dad, what are we doing on daddy Saturday? And I said, that's it, buddy. We're naming it. We're claiming it. That's what this thing's going to be called. <laughs> so we started opening it up to the community, putting our videos on YouTube, just having some fun with our, our zany events, our epic adventures we were doing. And you know, we're kind of like that Tim, the Toolman Taylor type of mentality of how do we take it to the next level, make it epic. Um, and we did that. And the community took notice. We started having other kids come over, a lot of kids maybe who didn't have a father in the home. And, and we started to recognize that this was beyond just us. There was something bigger here. And then when I gave the TEDx, the TED Talk, um, I recognized that there was an epidemic out there. And it was far bigger than anything I had imagined. And I had a solution. I had a, a, a one piece of the pie like you mentioned that I could do based on my experience skill sets to help make an impact in this space. So I wrote the book and created a platform and it really is around the four pillars now. It's around providing events, experiences, education, and technology to help dads engage their kids and to end fatherlessness. And that's what we've, we've done. And it's, it's gone beyond us to international companies as well. We have Daddy Saturday Kenya now and we impacted 15,000 kids there last year, 30,000 kids uh, this year. And we're about to donate five cows to five families in Kenya for Christmas over there as well. So, you know, it's gone way beyond us. And I think the biggest thing that we've kind of cemented our space in this fatherhood world is, as you mentioned, I'm, a, I'm an active dad. I'm in the middle of this, right? My kids are 15, 13, 10, and 8. And so I've been doing this for years. I've got a lot of failures. I've had a few successes along the way. But I'm just like every other dad that I'm in the middle of it and I'm sharing a lot of transparency on our life struggles we're having how I'm having those big conversations or those big moments with with our kids and putting them out there for everybody to see as part of our platform in a way that they can learn from those things and also share back and give you know me advice and tips along the way as well it's a two-way street fatherhood's open source and we all need to be engaged together in it so that's the the genesis of Daddy Saturday, it's how we've gotten to where we are today. And our kids are still very active and involved in it. And of course, everybody always says this. It's not just on Saturdays, obviously, right? That was my day with the kids based on my scenario. It's a mindset. It's, a, it's an intentionality um, opportunity that you can have with your kids at any time, at any day. And so it goes far beyond that. And that's a lot of the content about, right? Or the principles, the opportunities to engage your kids with intentionality every day of the week, not just on Saturday. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've noticed, you know, I noticed it in my kids, um, particularly between the one that my relationship wasn't great with in the early stages of my life <clears throat> and the ones, you know, that I had later in my life that I was, you know, fully engaged and fully involved with. And, you know, you can notice a level of, vibrancy, brilliance, 
in children that have access to both of their parents. And this is this doesn't have anything to do with whether or not they're in a relationship or not, or even living together. But when you see children who have two active parents in their lives, there's a different aura around them. There's a different confidence around them. And every time I see, that was the thing that I noticed, you know, about when I've seen you, particularly with your boys, I'm gonna talk about your daughter a little bit because I can also see that as intense as you are with the activity-based kinds of things with your son, you're equally intense on a whole nother level with your daughter. And there were moments where I took pictures of the two of you talking to each other where I can tell that that bond is just as strong between the two of you as it is with your daughters, but it's different. It's not the same. As you're doing this work, you know, and you're doing this kind of the daddy Saturday, I just see as outdoorsy kind of stuff. You guys exhaust the hell out of me when I'm watching you, you know, carrying boards on your back, climbing up trees, you know, shooting deer and you know, all that. That stuff exhausts me when I see it. And so how do you, uh, and it keeps you in shape. And I know that. And I'm inspired because I'm like, man, if I could just get out there on Saturday and do what Justin does, I might be able to get myself back in shape. Um, there's a very different kind of thing than going and watching your son play basketball all day Saturday and you're just sitting on the bench watching them. You're really not, you're really not moving. Um, but when you're being a daddy on all seven days of the week, um, how do you see your How do you see yourself different with your boys than you do with your daughter? That's such a great question. And, and you're right. I think as a, as a dad, and as a man, it's easier to gravitate towards your boys. I mean, we literally can walk outside and you pick up a football or, you know, you just start chasing each other on the yard or we go downstairs and we we're wrestling in the basement. It's just like, it's, it's easy because you just naturally gravitate towards things that boys want to do. And I always put myself back when I was their age and in their shoes. And I'm like, all right, what would I want to do? What would have been cool? Or what did I do? That was always a lot of fun. And I try and recreate those experiences and take them to the next level. Um, my daughter, when she was younger, you know, she would get into the slime battles and get into the, bubble wrap wars and get into the stuff that we used to do now that she's you know 15 and <laughs> past couple of years really you know she's like dad the slime battle thing kind of isn't really my game anymore and so part of that is yeah i think you have to also like you don't force your kids to do anything and so just like the boys when we do some of our physical activities if they're like hey dad i don't feel like climbing the hill today i'm like cool that's okay um you can just you know not be moving forward towards your goal. And then they're like, I'll do the takeaway all the time. They're like, all right, dad, I'll do the, I'll do the hill. I'm good. Or they won't do it. And then they come back the next day. Right. And so I think that's a big part of it, especially with your daughters is you can't force things on them and you just got to be there and constantly um, be available. And eventually they'll take the opportunity, especially if you haven't spent a lot of time building the relationship. Um, it can be intimidating. It can be challenging to go up to your teenage daughter, especially, right? And try and ask them on a date night or to do those kinds of things. Um, but the more you do it, eventually they move towards you. So that's what I've tried to do. I've just made myself available to my daughter um, and tried to do things that she wants to do. And so she wants to go get a mani-pedi. Like I'll go there and sit there and I haven't engaged myself yet. Maybe I need to, yes, you um, have to. but you have to. I had some guys, I've had some guys tell me, you were one of them and I need to do that. But I'll sit there and talk to her, right? We'll have a great conversation. Um, we do daddy daughter date nights once a month. And those are our times just to go open each other up, 
and spend time together and talk. And I do all the things that a guy should do for her, right? Open her door and bring her some flowers and we have meaningful conversation. We cover so much in an hour and a half of time together. We use our, our car time meaningfully. Um, and I'll just try to find one-on-one -on -one time with my daughter where we can just go and connect. Um, and that's really important because she knows that she can come to me when she really needs something. And that's the biggest blessing that any dad could ever have with a daughter is that when she really needs to talk, she can say, hey, dad, I need to talk, right? Like um, I had the sex talk with my daughter. My wife was a part of the talk because that was important. You know, she'd already had the, the female talk with her, but we had the sex talk. And I felt like, again, that's my role as a dad to have that conversation with her and also give her insight into how guys work. So she really knows the true story of what's going on. And, you know, so those kinds of things are there when I've just taken that role with my daughter where, you know, we've built a special bond. And I think the last trick is um, I do one-on-one -on -one trips with my kids at 10, 13, and 16 years old with just dad. Um, Hayden and I have been on her 10-year-old and her 13-year-old trip together. She'll do 16 next year. And again, these things don't have to be expensive, extravagant, or extraordinary. They just have to be intentional. And so you don't have to go crazy places. It just has to be you and them one-on-one. -on -one. And those, those 72 hours of us together over a couple of days, I've learned more about my daughter and built a relationship that's transcended the 15 years of her life because you, know, you get out of your rhythm. It's focused just on, on you and them. You're going out to dinners, you're having meals, you're doing experiences together. And those times have been just so meaningful. So I think it's those, those big building blocks, like those trips one-on-one. It's the, the intermediate things, like once a month, a date night. It's the every week finding 10, 15 minutes even just to have a conversation or do something together. And then it's also focusing on you know, what's meaningful to her, what's her love language. And then I'll do uh, my last little secret for dads is I think every daughter and every son need to hear a couple of things. Every daughter needs to hear three things. I see you, you matter, and you're beautiful. And if she hears those things from her dad over and over, she'll have the appropriate view of her own identity and when she meets that guy one day, right, have an appropriate view of herself. And so she will be seeking things from other men, other guys that, you know, she should have received from her father. And I write that on her mirror. I use uh, dry erase markers. I write it all over the place in her room. Um, she sees it. I'll surprise her with it in different places. But I constantly am telling her that and reinforcing that over and over with the, my boys. It's I see you, you're matter. I'm proud of you instead of you're beautiful. Uh, most boys need to hear that as well. So that's a difference, but yet similar. And it's kind of a blessing that I pour on my kids as often as I possibly can to help form up their identities. But I think there is a difference there between boys and girls. And the identity piece is key for both, but it is a bit different. Mm. Now, the one thing that we don't typically think about, and I think people don't kind of, you know, because we are so father focused, because we are so father forward, we're always talking about fatherhood, fatherhood. Um, do you get a chance and what does it look like when you sit back and you watch mommy and the kids? Like, how do you keep yourself out of that space and not wanting to be in that space and giving your wife the space to have her own intimate time with the kids? That's, yeah, again, so important, right? I mean, they have to have both. And mom and dad play different roles. That's why, to your point earlier, whether you're together or not, both parents need to be involved because the kids gain different things, right? Dad tends to be more safety, security, the strength, the mom tends to be more the nurturer, the emoter, those kinds of things. And so they both play a role. I've always said you can be, um, if, if you're playing both roles, 
then and you're you're a dad, then you're you can be a great dad, but you're going to be a bad mom. And if you're the mom playing both roles, you can be a great mom, but you're going to be a bad dad. It's because you weren't designed to play all those roles, right? It's a lot to put on any one person. So for me and with my wife, we try to play our roles respectively and operate within those sweet zones. The one thing we do is we're always on the same page um, and coming at it as one. So that's very important because kids love to divide and try and conquer, you know, both parents individually. But with my wife, I try to give her a space with my wife and daughter, like as many opportunities as I possibly can. I want them connected at the hip and, you know, them doing the things that girls love to do together and building that relationship because that's so important to me. And then with the boys, right, again, they naturally gravitate towards me, but it's important that it can't always be dad. You have to do some stuff with mom. So kind of finding those unique opportunities where um, like one of my middle sons, Mason, he's super into fashion and, and he loves, loves to find new sneakers. And so like he and mom can go shopping together and that's meaningful time for him. He gets a couple of things. He can spend time. He doesn't have his brothers you know, picking over him, messing with him. And that's a great way for them to connect. And then I also use it as a disciplinary tool. And so uh, my oldest son, Blaine, I, I've done a couple of posts on this before, but you know, he was very disrespectful to his mother one time. I was out of town, had a little bit of time to think about him the plane home. So I didn't overreact when I got home and I actually had a really intentional way to deal with it. But I haven't had him um, read Proverbs 31, which is about a wife of noble character, a woman of noble character. And I had him write it out as a mom of noble character and pull out all the things that he felt his mom did that were aligned to what that said in Proverbs 31. And he wrote her a letter describing all of that. And then I made him do yard work around the, the house to earn enough money to take her out on a date night. And he got all dressed up. He took her out. You know, he paid for it with the money he earned. Um, he picked the place. Of course, she drove because he's 12, he was 12 years old at the time. And then he read the letter to her, you know, and she cried and it was a great moment and they had a great experience. And he's asked now multiple times after that, hey, dad, can I take mom out on a date night? And now it's because he wants to, not because he's been disciplined to do that. And so I've looked for little ways where they can also honor their mother, spend time with their mother, but use it as an appropriate way of, of also how to treat a woman, how to respect her and how to have meaningful time with her. That's the other thing I love about your work and several other individuals that I work with. Most of the guys that I'm around, there's not very many who don't infuse um, faith into their work. How important is it to ensure, you know, that faith is an essential part of the work that you do? I think it's everything for me. It's the underpinning and undergirding of everything that we do because, you know, I believe that from my responsibility, the view that my kids are going to have of their Heavenly Father comes from me. And not that I have to be perfect by any means because, you know, Jesus was perfect, so I don't have to be. But there's a lot of um, things that I can pass on to my kids, and that's how they're going to view their Heavenly Father. And so, you know, I view it like a window that they're holding above their head. And if a child doesn't have uh, a father in their life, then maybe they're looking at, at God through a, 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 a lens of abandonment. Or if they had a results-based dad like me, and I did for a long time, right? I viewed doing things for God uh, to prove myself to him and other men because I was always striving for things. And it was an incorrect view. So I believe it's very important. And it's also important in the context of marriage and uh, being together as a family, that, that oneness right, really represents a lot in terms of what your kids are going to pick up and how they're going to feel confident and have a sense of security as they formulate their worldviews. I think that's the last piece of it. It, it really informs my worldview and the worldview that I'm hoping to share with my kids so that they can approach things the way that, that the Bible says that we're supposed to 
And ultimately, the last piece of it is, uh, it really helps from the standpoint of when you make mistakes, um, I'm very quick to, to forgive and seek forgiveness. I make mistakes all the time as a dad. Can't tell you the number of times that I've physically washed my family's feet as a method of just showing my sincere humbleness of the fact that I messed up as a dad. I'm not afraid to get down and, and you know, show that. And, and just the concept of sacrifice as a dad, I think it is our superpower. And so my faith is very important to me. And there's a lot of core principles that I do that are faith-based. Um, one that I'll share that I think a lot of dads can take away, maybe meaningful for them as a dad, and certainly will help their kids is this concept of the story we're all with. It's David and Goliath. And, you know, when David was a kid, he's going to check out the battlefield to see what's going on and bring his brothers some food. And he sees this giant down there taunting the whole army. And he's like, you know, what the heck? This isn't right. So he says, I'll go take this giant on. He goes into Saul's uh, tent, the king. And Saul's like, you're a kid. How are you going to kill this big giant? My whole army, this guy. And he's like, go check out my tent, Saul. I got lions, manes, and bear claws in there, right? God's brought me through that. He's going to bring me through this. He'll help me kill the giant. And he did. And so one thing that I do in my kids' lives, and I try to also tell other people, is that oftentimes when they look at their past, they see these things that they view as negative experiences that are hard times or difficulties they've been through, things they've had to overcome. I view them as lions, manes, and bear claws. It's a reframe. So if you've been through that and you've made it through it, and God's brought you through that, he'll bring you through this and what's in front of you now in this obstacle. So we do hard things every day. We climb our hill. Um, I do cold showers. Sometimes they'll jump in the cold pool with me. We'll do things around the the farm and that exposure to continual discomfort and doing hard things um, really helps them understand that the world's hard and it's going to be obstacles that they've come up against but because they've done those hard things now and they've overcome them here they can do them there that's part of how i plan on raising good kids who become great adults and change the world and so you know that faith is a big piece of everything i do and it's breaking down stories like that and, and maybe complex principles and putting them into daily life so your kids can absorb it and consume it. Mm -hmm. You know, I keep saying, you know, there's one more thing that I love about you, but there's actually a lot of things I love about you, which is why um, I think it's <laughs> just so connected. And so on this next thing is just another thing that I love about you and you're a big idea guy. I love big idea people. I love people who think big. So when you say 10 million, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, some folks will hear that and say, Really? You think you're going to impact? It's like, yes, I am. I, you know, and to me, that's the small, I'm being, that's a conservative number. It, you know, that's, 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 that's what I'm intending to do. Um, and I love your big ideas. I love the way you think in terms of doing things massive because I'm a scale person. I want to make sure, and that's what I've prayed to God for. I want to make impact at scale. Um, yeah, I could stick in my community and work with four or five guys and that'd be my life's work to see those four or five guys become great fathers and raise good kids. And I think that that's admirable work. Um, but I want to make systemic change. I want to see everyone have equal opportunity to be great dads and kids to have great fathers in their lives and, and moms have great husbands and, and partners in their lives and community have great men in their lives. I want, that's the level of work that I want to do. And so I'm so impressed and intrigued and I've been able to be with you um, twice now um, in your idea of the fatherhood festival. And so talk to me a little bit why you decided to do that and what it is, what it, what it is. Yeah, so over five years ago, 
I just had this vision. I believe it was a God-inspired vision. I saw this uh, stadium filled with dads and kids. It was super clear. And I just kind of woke up in the middle of the night. And I'm like, what is this vision? And it was so vivid. I didn't know what to do with it at the time. And I put it on the cover of our book. And it kind of became the backdrop for Daddy Saturday initially. It was this stadium that was filled to the brim. And my kids are kind of running out of it on the cover of the book with me. And five years later, I was given this opportunity, which was last year on Father's Day weekend, to be at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and to fill that stadium with dads and kids, have a fatherhood festival. And it was really the outpouring of that dream, which was to create an event where dads could come, could celebrate dads, uh, Hall of Fame dads, as we called them, give them a chance to have intentional and engaging experiences with their kids, bump up against some professional athletes. We had Anthony Munoz, uh, Sean Alexander, David Tyree, Mike Singletary, guys like that who Hall of Famers and you know NFL legends come out and be be accessible and engaging with their uh, their families as well as the participants. Just create an environment that would be Daddy Saturday Live, if you will, where they could see the the concepts and the principles of being intentional, being engaged, and then take those things home back to their communities. And for those kids who maybe grew up in a relationship where they don't have have a dad who's there or don't have frequent access to a dad, right? They could bump up against some of those male father figures, have that experience, but then get plugged in, in the local community to continue the process of being around them. So that was the outpouring of the initial event. Uh, we had a ton of fun with it. Yeah, you were there, you were so engaged, it was amazing. Your photography was absolutely incredible and you did capture so many great moments, especially a couple of myself with my own kids and those will be priceless memories for me. So thank you for that. And, you know, it was one of those things, Kenny, where it was difficult. I'm a small nonprofit. Um, the cost of doing it was extreme. We ended up losing uh, quite a substantial money our first year, but we were faithful and we did it and we were obedient. And now the blessing of what year two is going to look like and beyond is now an annual event. We're launching an entrepreneurship incubator at the Hall of Fame, which will be helping dads and youth. Um, become entrepreneurs and have career skills. And there's so many things that we're going to do there. So it's just, you know, everything has grown and come out of that by taking a huge risk and holding this fatherhood festival. And then we had the dad zone, which was a part of it. And that was an experiential kind of the, the fun zone, if you will. And that has now become a, an event that we can take on the road. We did our first event in NASCAR in Charlotte, which we were also a part of. We've got plans in 2023 to do, uh, potentially the Super Bowl and some other um, core events, including more NASCAR with the dad zone. So it really became kind of our sweet spot for Daddy Saturday is taking that that model of four pillars, the events, the experiences, the education and technology, combining them all together into one big concept, which is the Fatherhood Festival. And now the dad zone and some of the other events that we're going to be doing going forward. Well, I'm excited about that. You know, every every time you do it, I'm going to be there. I see the potential um, in it. You know, the other element of the Fatherhood Festival that I like, which is, you know, you and I met at Super Bowl here in, um, I believe we were here in, in Atlanta when you and I met. Um, we could have been, right. in, we could have been one of them, one of them places. And so, but the, I love the element of including influential athletes into this space of responsible fatherhood to talk about there because they're, they're just, you know, guys just naturally gravitate towards athletes, whether they're 
a part of Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, you know, National Football League or the National Basketball Association, um, tennis, golf, LPGA. We need to be figuring out how do we get to all of those places and then to the last place that I actually had a desire for an awful long time to get to, um, and that is NASCAR. Um, I think the other um, element, Justin, that we got to find our way into at some point is into um, little league sports, um, little um, the 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 um, little baseball league and pop Warner leagues, those big smaller leagues where kids and dads are there and try to figure out how to get um, into that space as well. And I'm I'm looking so forward to riding that journey. Uh, with you. I love the um, component of adding an entrepreneurship piece. It's actually something that people have been driving me to do for some time, but I'm so narrowly focused on the fatherhood stuff. It's hard for me sometimes to look into these other spaces of talents and gifts that I have to begin to start talking about um, doing this work because people forget, you know, I always tell people, you know, while Fathers Incorporated is charitable, we're not a charity. Um, this is a business and I have to run it like a business. Um, I have staff and I have resources and I have assets and I have, you know, workers comp people. I have I, I, all the stuff that are for profit, you know, today's not for profit is not yesterday's not for profit. Um, and also diversifying yourself like was in your bio, you know, we now have two for profits that are attached to fathers incorporated that allows us to do some different things that we may not necessarily be able to do you know, under the not-for-profit arm. And I have my own personal aspirations, right? I don't want to be, you know, George Frazier, who ran FrazierNet, runs FrazierNet. Um, I used to spend a lot of time with him in the early days of him creating that. He's always say to me, Kenny, you can do good and do well. You know, he's like doing, doing good is not an imprisonment of poverty. You can do well. And then he used to always say, um, Jesus was not poor, uh, which is why the three kings came to him to ensure that his journey and his ministry was financed. Um, there's a reason he had a taxpayer, I mean, a tax collector. Um, there's a reason he had an attorney. There's a reason that he had a thug. And I always laugh at the part about the thug piece because I heard a sermon said that there's a, I'm sure that Jesus went to some towns and spoke and was supposed to get paid and they didn't pay him like most people get happened to them today. And Jesus had to send Peter back over the mountain and to go get his money. <laughs> <laughs> That's <get> hilarious. <laughs> to get paid. So this vow of poverty is not part of the vow of servitude. Like God would not want us to be such committed and dedicated servants of his word and have us agonize over things that should not be um, areas that we agonize, um, i.e. our families. Our families shouldn't suffer because of our calling, right? They should live in comfort while we're coming home, like you said, at the end of the week. They shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be on a road trying to uplift other people while my family's worrying about whether or not the lights are going to be on or not, right? Those kinds of things. And so that's one, that's also something that I love about you, that entrepreneurial 
piece of the work that you do and it does and it should be a part of this work. I got a question for you. I saw it in your bio and I was like, what is this? And I was like, I kept looking at it. I didn't go and Google it. I said, you know what? I'm just going to ask them because I don't know what this is. What is a Spartan obstacle course racer? So it's interesting. I was in my day jobs in publishing and, and several years ago, I was pursuing a, a guy to do a book. His name's Joe DeSena, and he's the founder of what's called Spartan Race. And um, it's an obstacle course race. And I, when I met Joe to do a book, he said, look, if you want to work with me, you got to do one of my races. Mm-hmm. I said, cool, I'll do it. So I did my first one back in 2017 in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And it was the hardest thing I'd ever done physically and mentally. And I thought I was going to die, but I finished the race. And I was in you know decent physical shape, but I had no idea uh, you know, what this level would be. And I think of it like, a you know, a Navy SEAL kind of military training race combined with uh, the longest distance of the half marathon. And so you have um, obstacle courses like uh, these extreme monkey bars and rings and barbed wire you got to crawl under and, you know, wooden walls you've got to scale and go over and big heavy rocks you got to lift and carry. And um, if you fail an obstacle, just like in life, there's a penalty. So you have to do 30 burpees for every obstacle that you fail. And so you're timed and the goal is to get through the entire course by completing all the obstacles and obviously doing the burpees if you if you have to do the burpees and you know for time. And there's an open course where it's more of the honor system. People do it for fun and it's just a, uh, an accomplishment. And then they have an age group level, which is competitive. And they have, of course, the, the elite folks, which are the, the folks who are doing it professionally and, and full time. So I, I ended up working my way up into the age group area and was competing in it and did the nationals back in 2019 uh, before COVID out in Lake Tahoe. And this is one of those things where, again, you know, I got hypothermia, had to swim in a frozen lake, thought I was going to die, but it, I, I got through it, I overcame it. And it's one of those things where it pushes you mentally to say, again, if I can do that, then I can do anything. And the, the most special part about it is the kids races because they have the same thing. It's a toned down version for kids. And at the end, they get this big medal when they complete it. And it says earned, not given on the medal. And I, when I saw that, I just loved it because I'm like, you know what? That's life, right? And my kids actually have all these big Spartan medals. And now um, when they get a, a participation medal from, you know, a rec sports league or something, like I've watched one of my kids throw it in the trash. What are you doing? He's like, I didn't earn this. This is this was given to everybody. They all got the same medal. I'm like, oh my goodness. So, you know, that's what Spartan races are. It's an extreme sport, and it's just something that I found um, encourages me to push myself to the next level and stay in shape, stay active, and it's been a great opportunity for my kids as well. Nice, nice. Thank you for that. Cause I kept looking at it. I was like, I'm not going to Google it. I'm going to let him tell me what that is. That may be something that I want to do. But now that you've explained it to me, I was like, nah, that's got to happen in my next life. Not this one right here. I got to figure out another kind of race to get involved in it, in this life. Justin, tell everybody how they uh, can- you can do it. You can do it. Yeah, I can do it. Tell everybody how they can purchase Daddy Saturday, the book, how they can get involved with the work that you're doing, how they can find out more about the Fatherhood Festival. Let's give them all the information they need. No, thanks, Kenny. So books available everywhere books are sold. Obviously, most people go to Amazon today. So just search uh, Daddy Saturday on Amazon. And then um, in terms of Daddy Saturday, daddysaturday.com is the website. 
you want to contact me personally, best way to do that's on LinkedIn. Just look me up at Justin Bat. I'm very active there across all platforms. But that's the best way to get me personally. You can DM me there if you'd like to get in touch. And then uh, Fatherhood Festival is fatherhoodfestival.com. And you can stay tuned on the event next year. We'll be uploading and posting a whole bunch of information as that event evolves. And I can tell you it's going to be even bigger and better, way more epic next year than it was the first year. And we're super excited. I'm actually headed to Canton uh, next week. And we'll be doing some initial planning, getting things ready with the Hall of Fame for the 2023 event. So stay tuned on that. And, you know, I would also just say that, you know, look out for a lot of the work that you and I are doing together, Kenny, because I know that, um, you have just been a, a mentor to me. You have been a, a trailblazer in this space for someone that I've looked up to for a long time. So I'm so thankful our paths have intersected. And um, I'd encourage everyone to stay, out, stay on the lookout for some of the work at the dad zone. What we're going to do in NASCAR this year as well is going to be a blast. Absolutely. Justin, thank you so much. Thank you for being the guest on I Am Dad podcast. And thank all of you for listening to us this week. Uh, make sure you come back to us next Sunday, same time, same place um, throughout the week. God bless you um, and be your best self. Um, take seat. See you next time. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.